He didn't just do this in a linear progression the way that we might imagine God would do it. Jesus didn't just come in glory as a king who was going to conquer and reestablish a kingdom. No, he did it in this subversive, quiet way. Jesus went to the margins. Jesus went to the oppressed. Jesus went to the people that everyone thought were washed up and no good and and, and hung out to dry. That That's who Jesus went to. And I think Paul, as he begins to lay this out for us, he's like, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God who would do this. Well, hey, everyone, welcome back to How to Study the Bible. I'm your host, Nicole Eunice, and we are walking with God through the book of Romans. Today, we are on Romans chapter 11, and it has been such a awesome time with you, uh, wherever you are in your journey. If you're just joining us, if this is new for you, if you've been faithful every single week, wherever you are, remember, um, as I often say in the words of Beth Moore, you never waste time in God's word. So whether this is the first minute that you've had this week or this month to turn to the things of God, or if this is a practice for you that is a daily practice, wherever you are, you're welcome here, and we want to help you move forward in how you walk with God through this world. And guys, we need all the help we can get, that's for sure. And one of the things that's been really encouraging to me personally is honestly just the discipline of knowing that we're in a book of the Bible together, that we're showing up chapter after chapter really trusting God that he is revealing things to us that we need to know. Sometimes God is revealing things to us in in deep, like unknown places where we don't exactly know what's happening. It's not just a linear. Sometimes we read a piece of scripture and it's just obvious. We're like, oh, I'm discouraged and now I'm encouraged or I was fearful and now I'm peaceful. We'll have a moment like that, which is glorious. It's great. It's good. But also God can be doing deep, unknowable things in you as you submit yourself to his word and his way, as you turn your mind to the things above, to um, the invisible realities that surround us, which is our spiritual life. So wherever you are, I want you to be encouraged that when you spend this time and you say, God, I'm going to seek you, you can trust in the promises of God who says, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with your whole heart. So I just want to invite you um, to take a deep breath for a minute and to bring your whole heart into the next few minutes to actually picture yourself putting down the burdens and worries and concerns that you have coming up today. And actually just to say, I am going to discipline myself to be fully present with my whole heart to seek God in Romans chapter 11 today. Amen. Amen. Okay. Romans 11, here's where I want us to focus, just on the last couple of verses of the chapter, verses 32 through 36. I'm going to read them for you, and then we're going to walk through our method and see what God has for us today. Hey guys, we're here because the Bible has changed so many lives. So just take a second and think about if you didn't have access to a Bible or you weren't even allowed to have one. This is a reality that many around the world are facing, which is why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country, and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language, and that's where you come in. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals 
through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my new book, Not What I Signed Up For. Simply text STUDY to 71326 to help today. That's S-T-U-D-Y or visit give.crew.org slash study. Again, that's give.cru.org slash study. Message and data rates may apply and available to U.S. addresses only. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Romans chapter 11. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we enter into this chapter at the very end and at a very pivotal point in the book of Romans. And I want you to know this, that we are about to make a big turn. We've been building up, Paul's been building up an argument and a conversation for us, and he's ending the argument and the conversation with this beautiful doxology where he just breaks out into worship about who God is. And then it's going to we're going to make a big shift in Romans chapter 12 next week. We're really going to start getting into the very practical matters of our faith. If all of these things are true, Romans 1 through Romans 11, then how then shall we live, which is Romans 12 to the end of the book. So it's really important for us to recognize like when when there's a break in the passage, when you're when you're reading scripture, um, there's a couple things that you want to look uh, to to be pointed out for you, like that you would take notice of. The first actually happens at the beginning of this chapter, where Paul makes mention of an Old Testament story. And anytime you're reading the New Testament or the Old Testament, and a story is mentioned that maybe you don't know or you're not immediately familiar with, that's really important to be like, I probably need to know that story because the writer is drawing on that context, so I need the context right to to get myself kind of into the right tone, into the right frame of mind. So that's one thing that you want to notice is whenever there's a context to something else that's going to be important. The second thing you want to notice if there's a break in the rhythm of the writing, if if something happens where at this point Paul is like 
stating this kind of poetry, that's really important too, because that gives you a, a note that like, hey, we're probably wrapping up a thought. This is really important to the thought. The end of the thought or the beginning of the thought is is starts here, right? So we are actually at the end of a block when we ask the question, what does this say? And the reason I'm bringing us to the end of this chapter is because we're at this moment here where we're like, okay, what is this really saying? What have we really heard? And as is often the case, it's not like we can just stop in this passage and know what that means. We often have to back our way into the rest, right? So I already told you what's coming in Romans chapter 12 with that we're at the end of like a long argument, a long discourse where Paul's building this logical argument out. But for us, as we're reading chapter 11, this is a really good place for us to also say, okay, what happened before this? What led us to this point? And we're seeing some repeating themes. And I'm bringing that up particularly because Romans 9 and Romans 11 are two chapters where we can get real down in the weeds and we can get real confused about what's happening. Amen. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're like, okay, wait, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of my Jewish friends. What does this mean for my Jewish friends? Okay. That's a huge actual uh, obstacle. First of all, that we always need to address is whenever our mind goes too quickly to application and application is that fourth question, right? What does it mean for me? And if I go to what does it mean for me? What does it mean for the Jewish church today? What does it mean if I go there and I haven't done the rest of the work? It's very, very um, probable that I'm going to end up somewhere that it was not intended for me to end up where where it is, right? So if I just skip ahead and I start thinking about 2021 as I'm reading and I don't do the discipline of saying, wait, before I go to 2021, I need to know what was this saying at the time it was written? Who was the audience at the time? And what is the context? What is intended here? And that's the whole reason we do the Alive Method is to avoid getting sucked down into either controversy or confusion because we're quickly just sk- skirting ahead to the moment that we're in today. And I, this is what I think people do a lot. And it may be people that you listen to or whatever, and you think, oh my gosh, what what is Nicole going to say? You guys even said that in the Facebook group, like, oh my gosh, what is she going to say about chapter nine? So here's what I'm going to say about chapter 9, 10, and 11. We need to make sure that we understand, again, the context of who is speaking and what he's speaking about before we ask the question, what does this mean for me today? Okay? So I want to just do that. Anytime you feel confused, and honestly, I felt a little confused reading chapter 11. I'm like, okay, what is the main principle here? What are we trying to pull out of this? What is God giving us? And interestingly enough, like some of my favorite commentators, they don't even write about chapter 11. I'm like, oh, this is the lost chapter of the Bible that nobody wants to teach. That's interesting. So what I think about when that happens, whenever that happens, anywhere I am in Scripture, that can happen in the prophets, that can happen in Old Testament narratives, that can happen right here in Romans chapter 11. Whenever I read a chapter or a passage and I'm like, gosh, I don't know what this means, or like, this is confusing, and how does this relate to today and all that— Usually what it means is we need to elevate our perspective. We've got to come up a few levels. And for this chapter, chapter 11, we actually need to come up above the whole chapter even more. And so what I did before I got on this podcast with you guys is I was like, you know what? I need to elevate all the way up 
and above chapters 9, 10, and 11, all three chapters, because chapter chapter 10, starting at the end of chapter 9, 10, and 11, really begin the conversation, right, that Paul is talking about Israel. And I need to understand what he's saying. So I'm going to just review a couple of things. We started in chapter 9. And at the beginning of chapter 9, Paul actually sets the emotional tone for the rest of this letter. Remember, he didn't break this letter up into chapters. Other people broke this letter up into chapters. This is just a letter he wrote. So don't get like, it's an arbitrary idea that chapter 11 is somehow its own thought. No, 9, 10, and 11 are all Paul's thoughts in this letter that he's writing. And in 9, he says, I speak the truth in Christ. And then he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. So we want to start there. The whole tone of 9, 10, and 11 is this place of grief that Paul feels for his, his loved community, the people that he loves, the people who have a zeal for God, like we talked about in chapter 10. They have knowledge of God, but their zeal is misplaced. He's He has anguish about what is happening, about this, this grave just miss of not understanding who Jesus Christ is. And the whole thing that he's doing in 9, 10, and 11 is based on that tone. I have great sorrow and anguish in my heart about what is happening. So this is not a tone of condemnation. This is not a tone of judgment. This is not a tone of anger. This is a tone of sorrow and an anguish about what he wants them to understand. He goes on, and then we start to see this other theme emerge in 9, 10, and 11, and that theme is mercy. Mercy is mentioned over and over again. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 16, it does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. He keeps giving this message to the Jewish people like it is not about your effort. It is not about the law. It is not about something that you can do. It's about God's mercy. And then in verse 23, he goes on and he says, what if God's doing this because he prepared um, uh, the riches of his glory for the objects of his mercy? And by the way, that's not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. So this is the big message of anguish and sorrow. And and what, what Paul wants to convey is he's trying to say, guys, God is bigger than you think. God is bigger than this law. God is bigger and above the covenant and the promises. But he doesn't abolish those things. Like, you are the chosen people. He has called you to this great and glorious calling, but he's, he's, the calling is expansive, and the calling is based on God's mercy. It is not based on human effort, and he's repeating that over and over again. And we know in chapter 10, he says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. The whole tone is about saving the saving mercy of God, not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile, that this is a message for the entire earth. And we know in Romans chapter 10, that's that wonderful certainty we have where Paul says, anybody who calls on the name of God will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He's he's naming the exclusive invitation of following Jesus. He's saying to the Israelites who've been waiting for a Messiah, who have all the prophets and the covenants and the promises and the sacrifices, all of which were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, guys, the only thing that you have to do is believe that God has done what he told us he would do. 
And that all of these prophecies and all of these stories and the covenants and the feasts and the laws, all of it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he's doing it with this tone of anguish, right? Because he desires for them to be saved. He wants them to know the truth of God's mercy for all people, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So we, ha- I needed to back all the way out of that <laughs> to get into chapter 11 and say, okay, that's the point. 9, 10, and 11, that's the point. That's the main point. There's a lot of other pieces in here, and you probably have as many questions as I do if you really dig into this chapter, because this chapter gives us this sense of, wait a second, what in this is election, meaning what has God pre-done, what has God predestined, and is is God actually, is this universalism? So universalism is the idea that everyone is saved no matter what. It sort of sounds like that. So if you dive too deep in there and you take this out of context and only one verse at a time, you're going to get swirling into all of these controversies that surround Christianity and theology. Again, not a bad thing to study those things, but whenever we... We go to God's word, we, what we don't want is more confusion and more anxiety. If, if God's word is giving you more confusion and more anxiety, you need to back up and elevate your perspective and ask, what is the big story of what's happening here? Then I can get into the smaller pieces, which are important. And we have theologians and commentators and scholars who study this and give us theology. They give us these different ideas of what this may mean. I mean, even in if you've got your study Bible— If you go to chapter 11, verse 15, you actually see that there are three views of what this passage means in 15, where it talks about, um, will they be accepted? Is everyone, what's going to happen to the Jewish people? And the study notes actually give you some theories on what that might mean. And actually, they actually represent a theory. They say, we think that this theory is the most realistic. And that theory is the idea that the Jews are going to have a conversion that's going to be joyful and glorious. And it will be an even greater blessing for the world, okay? But again, that's conjecture. That's people who are scholars and theologians who are reading and understand the Bible, and they're giving us their views and some thoughts. So anytime, we've got to have some openness in our spirit to just be like, okay, there's a lot of views out there. Nobody has the corner on exactly what these things mean. But whenever I get confused or anxious, I need to elevate my perspective and ask, what's the big point here? What is clear in 9, 10, and 11? And I've just brought you to those verses that are clear. It is clear that salvation is by mercy. It's by God's mercy. It is clear that God has a special place in his heart for the Jewish people and that they are his chosen people and that there is some sort of something that seems to be indicated will happen to the Jewish people. At the time that Paul's writing this, he desires for them to know God and to know Jesus Christ in his saving mercy and as a saving relationship right then. That's what Paul's doing. He's saying to all these guys, hey, all this stuff that you know is important and it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that's still the same message today. That's the heart and the hope for the Jewish people, all Jewish people, is that there's going to be this glorious conversion. It'll be so joyful. But right now, this this gap, this disbelief and this disobedience, as Paul calls it, is actually creating space for everyone outside of the Jewish faith to come to know Jesus. Okay, again, remember, at the time of the of its writing, Christianity is just like this unknown kind of sect, cult. People don't know what it is. Is it Jewish? Many people just thought it was a form of Judaism. So again, in the writing at the time, we need to understand that that Paul is appealing to the Jewish people. That's how Jesus came. Jesus came into that system to God's chosen people first. And so Paul's kind of like, 
saying, hey, like, because of your disobedience, like, because of your disbelief, all these other people are able to come in and are seeing this for what it is. But God's desire is that all would be saved, right? God's desire is to show mercy. We started in chapter nine, right, with Paul's anguish and his sorrow. And we finish in chapter 11 with his worship. So that's interesting to think about. Like Paul goes from a troubled spirit and as he begins to write these truths of God and what God is doing in drawing the Gentiles in. And as we get this beautiful analogy in chapter 11 about the engrafted branches, the idea that God has made space so that branches can come into the olive tree and be cultivated and grown into this tree. And you get this beautiful picture of this full flourishing tree with original branches and branches grafted in that make this this glorious, majestic, spreading tree of of goodness and that that's the picture that Paul gives us of of anyone who's a gentile anyone who's not jewish by birth um I'm not jewish by birth being grafted into this tree and then Paul also gives that great hope that hey even if your branch is cut off it can still get grafted back in like jewish people even if the branch has been cut off even if you don't believe even if you didn't believe you can still be grafted in to this glorious family this spiritual family that God is growing generation after generation for jew and Gentile alike, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And as he writes that, what I feel like is happening in the tone of Paul's writing is as he writes out those truths of what God is doing, he's actually led to worship. He's like, oh, wait a second. God does things his way. God is God and I am not. Oh, how unsearchable his judgments, how unknowable his mysteries. Like this is who God is. He didn't just do this in a linear progression the way that we might imagine God would do it. Jesus didn't just come in glory as a king who was going to conquer and reestablish a kingdom. No, he did it in this subversive, quiet way. Jesus went to the margins. Jesus went to the oppressed. Jesus went to the people that everyone thought were washed up and no good and, and, and hung out to dry. That, that's who Jesus went to. And I think Paul, as he begins to lay this out for us, he's like, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God who would do this. Hey, guys, we're here because the Bible has changed so many lives. So just take a second and think about if you didn't have access to a Bible or you weren't even allowed to have one. This is a reality that many around the world are facing, which is why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country, and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language, and that's where you come in. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my new book, Not What I Signed Up For. Simply text STUDY to 71326 to help today. That's S-T-U-D-Y or visit give.crew.org slash study. Again, that's give.cru.org slash study. Message and data rates may apply and available to U.S. addresses only. So when we ask that question, what does it say? We back up. We ask the question, what's the backstory? Well, we know the backstory of Paul now. And then we ask the question, what does it mean? And for me, where this leads me to in the sense of what does it mean is like, what it means is that God is God. 
and that God's going to do what God's going to do. And that there is a mystery to the way that God works, but there is also clarity about what God wants us to know. And anytime I'm going to, I'm going to have to live in the tension between the mystery of who God is and the clarity of what God wants me to know. And anytime the mystery of God leads me to a place where I'm anxious or I'm not sure, I can lean back into the clarity of God and say, you know what? I don't know that. And I don't, guys. I don't know. I don't know what this is really saying about the end of time. I don't know what this is really saying about the Jewish people overall. Is this saying that anyone who's a Jewish person is going to be saved? Is there some other realm where everyone has an opportunity to know that Jesus is Lord and Savior? I don't know. I mean, that's not in here. I don't have the answers in the Bible. What I do have is the tension of knowing, okay, what do I know about God? What do I know to be true? And what I know to be true in Romans 9, 10, and 11 is that God loves his people that God desires for them to be saved, that God has created a new spiritual family where he is grafted in branches. We are the grafted in branches if you're not Jewish. And that even if you are Jewish, and even if you have been disobedient, you have not listened to the prophets and to the fulfillment of the scriptures in Jesus, you can still be grafted in. And then also, like, maybe at the end of time, there's going to be some other kind of glorious thing where where we have this glorious, joyful reunion of, of the Jewish faith coming into the Christian faith and all of us being one. And, and yeah, there's some tension. I don't know exactly how all that's going to play out, but I do know what God has told us. I do know what I see here. I know that at the beginning of chapter 9, Paul is in anguish, and by the end of chapter 11, he's praising God. And he's saying, oh my gosh, for from him and through him and for him are all things. Everything is held together in Jesus. And I might not know how everything is held together in Jesus. And when I ask that question, what does it mean for me? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how all my sorrow is held together in Jesus. I don't know how the people that I desire to be saved who seem to be disobedient and and running from God, I don't know how that's held together in Jesus. I don't know how the things that seem dead in my life will come back to life. But what I do know is that God is God, that God is merciful, that God is faithful and he has not let me down, that even the things that I cannot understand, it does not mean that God does not understand them. Even the things that feel sorrowful now, it does not mean that they will be sorrowful at the end of time. Those are the things that I have to hold together in the mystery of who God is and the certainty of what God has revealed. And and, and the heart and the desire is that you, like Paul, will be led right into a doxology in your own spirit, where you say, because for from him and through him and for him are all things. Everything is held together in Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to How to Study the Bible with Nicole Eunice, a production of LifeAudio.com and the Salem Web Network. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey, and edited by Stephen Sanders. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really does help people find us. To learn more about Nicole, you can check out her website at NicoleEunice.com. Her book on how to study the Bible is called Help, My Bible is Alive. And you can find a link to that plus a link to Nicole's site in today's show notes.
Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. 